a joy to be with you this morning, and to all of you joining us online. We are so glad to have you worshiping with us. How many know that I've been away for a couple weeks? And before I was away, I had some other people speaking. And so I'm ready to go this morning. How many know when you put a preacher and you put them on the sideline for a little while, you know, they're, they, they get restless, right? And so I'm ready and eager to preach to you this morning. Amen? Awesome, awesome. So great to be worshiping with you today. Uh, here's a question. When's the last thing that you tried, uh, something, what was the last new thing you tried based on the recommendation of someone else? Anyone, are you, anyone, where's all the people you love to try new things, new, new things? Where's all the tried and true people? You're like, I don't like new things, just tried and true, that's me, right? But I love a good recommendation. I love trying new things, new experiences, and, you know, whether it's a new restaurant or a new recipe, I love trying new recipes, not, not baking them myself, like someone else does the baking and then I'll try it, Right? Maybe, uh, maybe you've got like some uh, summer Netflix binging you've been doing based on their recommendation, someone else. It's summertime, so maybe you tried a new vacation spot based on someone else's recommendation. You know, recommendations are amazing, you know, and, and usually we love to have a good review. All you online shoppers who likes to read the reviews before you buy on Amazon, right? No one wants to buy the item that has six reviews beside it, right? You want the one that has 6,000 reviews, uh, five-star reviews. And, and so you can discover some pretty great things based on people's recommendation and their good review on things that you might not have tried or discovered on your own. Just recently, I ordered some coffee. Uh, it was brewed locally, uh, roasted locally here uh, in BC based on the recommendation of Brett and Pastor Kirsten. And they were putting an order in for some Republica coffee. And I said, you know what? Order me some too. And uh, you know what? It was worth it. They had a good review and it was really good. But how many know that good reviews don't always work out? How many have ever tried something based on someone else's recommendation? They thought this is the best thing ever. And for you, it was a pass. Anyone ever experienced that? Maybe you've been the one that you've discovered something and you're just like, you're eager. You, you want to see like how I, I'm recommending this to you. And you're kind of like, how, how did you like it, right? And if they give you like a mediocre, lukewarm response, it can be crushing, you know, to be like, they don't like the thing that I recommended to them. You know what? makes something good. What makes it good? Goodness, it would seem, is, uh, you know, subjective or maybe a matter of taste or preference. Let's, let's do a little a game right now. Let's do a little survey. Coffee with cream, coffee black, or coffee blech. All right, so where's all the coffee cream people? Let me see, okay? All right, where's coffee black? All right, where's coffee blech? Okay, all right, all right. See, it's a difference of opinion. How about sushi? Sushi yum. Where's all the sushi yum people? Where's all the sushi yuck? Okay, okay. See what I'm talking about? McDonald's drive-in. Do you drive in or do you drive by? Drive in to McDonald's. Drive by. Oh, man. Okay, French toast. French toast with... Icing sugar, French toast with maple syrup, all right, French toast with ketchup and syrup. 
Now, I, that was for my own benefit because I don't know where I picked this up in my life, but I think I'm the only person on the planet that eats ketchup on maple syrup on my French toast. It makes sense. It's like you can have ketchup and eggs or ketchup and toast, and you can have like, you know, like French toast and syrup. And so you put those things all together, you get sweet and, uh, and salty and sweet. And, uh, and so, I don't know, that's just me. So if I recommend to you French toast with ketchup and syrup, go and try it, it'll change your life. And if you don't like it, you'll be like all the rest of my family. Okay. So what makes something good? Is it a matter of preference? Is it a matter of taste? Is it subjective to how I feel about it, right? Is it, is it like uh, relative to how I experience it? Can something be good if I don't like it, right? Have you ever had that experience where you've tried something and you're like, like, it's good, it's just not my style or not my preference, right? Goodness can be ambiguous and hard to define. We use this word, like, how many have had a good day? Anyone have a good day this week, at least one, right? Or how about a good meal? You had a good meal? Anyone have a good cry, right? Like, what makes it good? How do we define goodness? And when my kids were smaller, we would leave them with the babysitter, and we would always leave them with these words, be good. What I meant in that moment wasn't like go and feed the poor and take care of widows and orphans and cut the neighbor's yard. What I simply meant was don't make a mess, don't kill each other, and don't make the babysitter cry like you did the time before. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> and so what do we mean by saying be good? Goodness, it seems, can be subjective, especially the way we define things what makes it good? Well, today I want to look at what Scripture talks about a goodness. What is goodness according to Scripture, and where does goodness come from? And if you're just joining us, we are in the middle of our summer sermon series called Juicy Fruit, where we've been looking at nine characteristics that the Bible describes as evidence or fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We've been talking about this idea that when God's at work, these are some of the characteristics that you can expect to see. Galatians 5, if you want to turn there with me, look, my voice is already weak because I haven't used it in the last five weeks. I don't know. <clears throat> Galatians 5, verse 16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So now, as we've been going through this series, we've been talking about how this isn't merely a checklist of nine characteristics or character traits that we could just kind of like check off the ones that we do well at and kind of circle the ones that we need to brush up on that we've been talking about. This is, this is about more than working harder and trying harder to reflect the character of Christ. This is the fruit of the Spirit we talked about is the character of Christ that's produced by the Spirit of Christ in the followers of Christ. So this isn't just like that gold star checklist. This is about uh, getting the nature and character of Christ in us. 
See, fruitfulness isn't about what you do as much as it is about what God does in you when you open your heart to him. When we allow the Holy Spirit to transform who we are, then it shows itself in the fruit of what we do. You know, simply changing what you do, that's just behavior modification. You could change what you do, but that doesn't change the heart. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. You know, this is why it says, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Spiritual fruit is really about walking closer to the heart of Jesus by letting the Spirit of Jesus guide us in each and every moment of our life. This isn't about trying harder. This is about saying, Spirit, lead me. Would you say that this morning with me? Would you just say, Spirit, lead me? That's one of the best prayers you could pray every morning when you get out of bed. Spirit, lead me. As you're on your way to work, Spirit, lead me. As you're on that way into that meeting, on your way into school, uh, into that tough conversation, you know, into that, that disciplinary conversation with your kid, every moment of the day just saying, Spirit, lead me in this moment. Coming back to our theme today, how do we define Goodness. The Bible uses different words uh, in the original languages to describe good, but the one Paul here, uh, he uses is agathosne. Agathosne simply means uprightness of heart and life. Goodness, according to Scripture, isn't just about doing good deeds. If it was about doing good deeds, then everyone on planet Earth would be a good person. Hear me out, because even the most vile and villainous people do good deeds. And so it's not about doing good deeds. I was visiting Thailand a number of years ago, and as we were there, we were doing a tour uh, of a temple. And outside the temple gate, uh, there was a man that was selling uh, birds uh, that he had in a cage. And the, the uh, missionary, the global worker we were with, they, they explained to us that the, the intent or the purpose of these birds in the cage was that as a guest to the temple, you could buy a bird and set it free. And in doing so, rack up some good deed points on your way into the temple. Right? You could kind of up your score a little bit. You know, if, you, if you'd yelled at your kids, you imagine, you know, oh, I was yelling at my kids on the way to church today. I, I got to do something to like get my good deeds score up, you know, before I, you know, to keep that scale, that, that idea of karma. You know, if I up my good deeds score, then I will have good fortune, good karma. And so I was just thinking about this. I was thinking, man, if I buy a bird and set it free, then I get good deed points. But what about the guy that took all the birds and put them in the cage to begin with? Right? Good deeds. There's more to goodness than the things we do or the things that people see us do. The Bible tells us that God measures goodness by looking at our hearts. First Samuel 16 famously says that people judge by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God's always looking below the surface, peering past our external uh, actions to our internal condition. He's looking for a heart of goodness. You know, the scripture describes the fruit of the spirit. Uh, it also describes fake fruit. You see fake fruit. Uh, you know, Jesus talked a lot about fake fruit. I don't know about you, but growing up, I would always remember going to my grandma's house and my grandma had a bowl of fruit that was always present in the dining room. It was always there on the buffet of the dining room. Now, this bowl of fruit was a magical bowl of fruit because it was never empty. 
It never needed refilling. It was just always full of fruit. The fruit never went bad. It just was always there. It looked beautiful. It looked like great looking fruit. It was just, but it, I was never needed replenishing. It was wax fruit. Anyone remember growing up in the 60s, 70s, you had wax fruit decor? I read an article this week uh, in the year 2022. They said wax fruit is coming back. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but this wax fruit, you know, it, it looked amazing. It looked so good. It looked so realistic, and yet it lacked any nutrient. It, it lacked any ability to nourish. It lacked any ability to reproduce. It was fake fruit. And it was sat on my, my, my grandmother's buffet all those years. Jesus contrasted the fruit of the Spirit to fake fruit in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really talking a lot about goodness. What does it mean to live with a good heart? How does uprightness of heart outwork itself in the actions and the attitude that we interact with other people with? And he, he talks about this heart that pleases God and he contrasts it to this heart that produces fake fruit that some people live with. Matthew chapter 7, if you want to turn with me this morning. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be there and then we'll be in Matthew 6 in just a moment. Matthew 7, verse 15 says, Beware the false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Their fruit is based on how they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. See, it's not that the Pharisees that Jesus was addressing didn't produce fruit. Uh, it wasn't that their lives didn't appear fruitful. On the exterior, they were filled with good deeds. But Jesus was saying, I could look at the quality of fruit. Anyone ever had a good piece of fruit that you bit into and realized that there was something at its core that wasn't quite right? That there was some rot, there was some disease, there was some uh, infectious creature living in there. One of my children just recently was in the backseat of her car. They bit into their fruit. And oh my goodness, you would have thought someone died in the backseat because they found something in their fruit. Ultimately, who we are will be revealed. You know, as a kid, I remember my mom going, coming home from the grocery store one day, and uh, she had come, she bought bananas, uh, and these were some of the biggest bananas we'd ever seen. They were so yellow, and they had that familiar crescent shape, you know, like that big smile shape that bananas have, and so she said, I found these bananas, they're the biggest ones I've ever seen, and so she brought them home, and we said, okay, let's eat them, and so we peeled them open. They were a little tough to peel. The, th the peel was a little thicker than we were used to. And uh, we got these bananas open and we took a bite of them. And they were chalky. They were disgusting and flavorless. They were so gross. And uh, we thought, these bananas are garbage. And so we threw them out in the garbage. We never ate them again. And it wasn't until a couple years later when I met my first Jamaican friend. And then I discovered that it was a plantain. 
And plantains need to be cooked. Plantains are not the same as bananas, if you know what I mean. And so they're delicious and so good when they're cooked. But we can dress up our lives on the outside to appear that we have good deeds, but ultimately who we are always shines through. If you ever had that salesperson, that one who's so friendly, so interested in your life, they're so like encouraging and so like, man, I just feel like this person is my best friend. Uh, until you say no to their product and all of a sudden the real them shows through, right? They don't, they're not interested in you. They just wanted to make the sale, right? And so how can we tell when goodness is good and, not, uh, and, and when it's not so good? Well, not good goodness is goodness in order to get noticed, Jesus says. Not good goodness is when we do good because we want everyone else to see the good we've done. How many know that you could do the right things for the wrong reasons? And so Jesus sums this up for so many of the Pharisees and followers who were listening to him. He wasn't shy about letting them know that he wasn't impressed with their kind of goodness. They would take their goodness and they would parade it around for all to see and say, you know what, this is what you should be aspiring to. They were holding up their goodness as a barometer, a measure of what godliness looks like. And Jesus responded by calling them out on their arrogance and their hypocrisy. Matthew 6 verse 1 says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will get. Godly goodness isn't good in order to get noticed. Jesus actually suggests the opposite. Matthew 6 continues in verse 3, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go by yourself and shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. Notice that Jesus is talking here about the intention of our hearts. You know, some people take this to the extreme, that they, they really they want to do everything incognito. They don't want anyone to know what good they've done. But that's not really what Jesus is saying. You can tell that because he also uh, likens this to prayer. You, we wouldn't ever say that Jesus never wants us to pray publicly. He actually encourages us to pray together uh, with each other. What, what he's saying is that don't pray so that other people will hear you. Pray together with others to God who hears you. What he's saying is don't do good for others so that they will bless you in return, but do good so that others will be blessed through the blessing God has given you. It's all about the intention of your heart. You know, it's easy as we look through the New Testament to criticize the Pharisees, right? Like they're kind of the poster child of, of how not to do spiritual life. But they were always running into trouble. But what we need to recognize as, as uh, modern readers of the text is that we need to ask ourselves, what would Jesus say to me through this? How would Jesus speak to me? These are the same things he wants to point out in me. How many know we've all done good things to get noticed? 
right? We've all done things because people were watching us. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what am I good for? Turn to your neighbor right now and say, what am I good for? <laughs> I'm not talking about a values test, like what am I good? What's my worth? What's my identity, right? What I'm saying is, what am I good for? What am I trying to accomplish in being good? What's my motivation? Jesus warned that good deeds done for the sake of public admiration and self-promotion never result in the admiration or promotion of our Father in heaven. See, true goodness isn't good in order to get noticed, but to bless others with the blessings that we've received through God. How can you tell when goodness isn't good? When it's to get noticed. But also when it's only good in public and not in private. Goodness isn't only selectively good based on the circumstances of who's seeing me, who's watching me. That's fake fruit. So your character, the real you, is revealed when no one's around and no one's looking. The decisions that you make in private when no one else finds out are often the most important decisions of your life. Those are the ones that shape your character. Those are the ones that shape the core of who you are. Those are the ones that form your heart, whether you're producing the fruit of the Spirit or fake fruit. See, Jesus warned the Pharisees against being good only to get noticed. He also warned them again against being only good in public. Luke 12, verse 1 says, Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling around and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. How many know as a kid growing up in church, I used to be terrified of this verse, right? Like everyone's gonna know what's going on in this mind of mine, right? Can you imagine right now, you, like, you know, singing on the big screen. Next week you come into church and we'll have the video of your innermost thoughts here on the screen, right? Can you imagine? That would be like entertaining and like terrifying all at the same time. The most crucial decisions are the ones we make when we are alone and in private. Abraham Lincoln, he famously said this, you can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time, but you can never fool all the people all the time. And I'd like to add to that that you can never fool God at all because he sees your heart and he knows who you are. To be clear, Jesus wasn't saying this though to make our cheeks blush. Right, as a kid, I would be terrified. Like, oh, please, they don't give someone a prophetic word about my life because I don't want them to know who I am, right? It's never, never the point of what Jesus is trying to do. He's not trying to make us uncomfortable. He's not trying to make us feel like we're unusable. He's not trying to uh, make us feel condemned for the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Jesus is not about condemnation. He's about conviction, He's about saying, hey, where we don't measure up, let's come to the Father and let him produce goodness in us. It's that let's come to the Father and let him change and transform. How many know as we look through Scripture, you know, Jesus isn't trying, we already feel inadequate enough, I think, most of the time, most of us. 
about how we don't measure up to the righteousness of God. Sometimes that paralyzes us. Sometimes that makes us feel that we're not worthy of the cause and the mission of Christ. And yet what we see through scripture is that Jesus is always taking people who in their capacity to do good on their own strength don't measure up. But he says, come to the Father. Let me produce my character in you. Let me follow the Spirit's leading in every area of your life. How many know that if you have a coach or you know, someone who is, uh, maybe you have a, a personal trainer, you're on your fitness school or whatever, how many know that when you come into something new that the coach is not telling you to go and figure it out on your own, right? They're not telling you to go and, and produce results on your own. What they do is they coach you, right? And they're saying, if you commit to the coaching, if you commit to the program that I put together for you, if you commit to following my leading, you'll see results, right? How many know I should be a personal trainer? That'd be good. I could put a program together for you. If you follow my leading and trust, you know, you know the, the results of my own, I know I need a, a physical trainer of my own, right? And that's half the problem. When I do it by myself, the results are like, eh, they're mediocre, right? Right, my diet plan's mediocre, my, my workout plan's mediocre, but when I follow the training of someone who knows what they're doing and I commit to the program and I commit to the process, I will see results. That's what Jesus is saying here. And, and one of the most amazing things is that God doesn't expect anyone to be perfect. He expects us all to follow the leading of his spirit. Listen to some of the people that God used through scripture. Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament. We see in scripture that there's a moment where Elijah was depressed and suicidal. And yet God said, you're the person that I want to use. Follow my spirit's leading. Moses starts his ministry by being a murderer. Kills an Egyptian oppressor in that moment. God takes him and he says, follow my spirit's leading. Rahab, a prostitute. In the New Testament, we see the Samaritan woman had a serial relationship dysfunction. Jesus says, you've had many husbands, and this man you're with now is not even your husband. There's serial dysfunction happening in your life. Jacob was a cheater. David was an adulterer. Jonah ran away from God's plans and purposes for his life. Peter denied Christ three times. Zacchaeus was a money-hungry swindler. And Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, persecuted Christians long before he ever became one. And we see that these are the people that God God uses for his plans and purposes, not because they were perfect, but at some moment they decided to follow the Spirit's leading for their life. And so that's what God is calling you and I to, not perfection, not to measure up before he could use us, but to say, God, I'm going to follow your Spirit's leading in each and every moment. Goodness is not perfection. Goodness is the quality of a person that has a firm grip on their own inability to be good of themselves and who have learned instead to respond to the conviction, direction, and shaping of the Spirit of God. That's what God's calling us to. Instead of getting a goodness to get noticed or goodness in public but not in private, we become good for goodness sake. For good for goodness Sake. Listen to what Paul in 2 Thessalonians talks about goodness. He says, I pray, uh, so we pray, keep on praying for you, asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Notice, this is the Paul. 
He's, he's planting all these churches. He's leading all these believers to Christ. And this is the foundation of his belief. It's God who enables you to live worthy of his calling. It's God who empowers you to accomplish the good things your faith prompts you to do. And then he says this, then the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live and you'll be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Goodness, if we're trying to describe what it is, really originates in God. God is the only one who is truly good. He's the only one. We call it righteousness, uprightness of heart and life. And we cannot look to each other to measure how good we are based on other people because I'm better than a lot of you. And I'm a lot worse than a lot of you too, right? We can't, you know, there's some areas of my life where I'm doing well and, you know I mean? The barometer doesn't work that way. The barometer says when I come to God's perfection, when I come to his righteousness, I don't measure up and none of us do. That's why when people ask me all the time, well, you know, how good do you need to be? Like, how come there are good people, the Bible says, that are not gonna make it into heaven? The Bible says that and they wrestle with that. People wrestle, how could good people not make it into heaven? Because heaven isn't based on being good. And our definition of good doesn't add up to God's definition of good. God's definition is righteousness. It's uprightness of heart and life, and at some point we all fall short of that. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, said, good teacher, and Jesus said, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Uh, Jesus wasn't denying that he was good. He wasn't saying to the rich young ruler, don't call me good, because I'm not. What he was saying is, why are you calling me good? Because only God is good, and in doing so, you're acknowledging that I am God. John 1.5 tells us that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Church, I want you to know about the goodness of God. We just sang about that a moment ago. This uprightness of heart and life that, that the Bible describes as goodness of God. God always acts in accordance to what is right and true and good. There's another aspect to agathosine, and it's not just uprightness of heart, but it's beneficence. It's a goodness towards others. And that element is saying that, you know, that God could be good on his own, but if he existed in a vacuum just by himself, what would it matter, his goodness? Goodness actually is always in interaction with other people. I act rightly, I act accordingly, I act for the best of the people I'm engaging with. And so sometimes we know that we don't do that. We act self-seekingly, we do what's good for us and for them, right? God does only what's good for you. It's not self-seeking, it's this goodness, this righteousness, it's part of his nature. He cannot contradict his goodness. God cannot do anything that's not good. And if it's good and it's from God, then we can believe and trust in the fact that it's good for us. Sometimes we wrestle with God and we wrestle with his goodness. Why am I going through this? Why is God allowing this in my life? What is happening? And we can always trust that in God there's no darkness. There's no self-seeking. There's, no, uh, there's nothing that is short of our good. And so God's goodness prompts him to act righteously towards us. He cannot act unrighteously. God is a standard for all that's good. Psalm 100 verse five says, the Lord is good 
and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Church, goodness is not about getting into heaven. You can never be good enough on your own to make it. Goodness is the righteousness of Christ. That's what we need. See, goodness isn't about racking up your points with God. Goodness isn't about even doing good because it's the right thing to do. How many of you have ever just kind of said that? Well, it's just the right thing to do, right? Goodness isn't even about that. Goodness is about letting God shape you and your character to reflect his. In doing good and being good, we're saying, God, I want you to transform my heart and my life to reflect yours. Would you change my heart, change my desires, change my actions so that I can convey yours? Are you coming up here to preach, buddy? <laughs> That's awesome. I love, I love when people are so hard. They're like, let's get me to the altar. I just want to be right there where God is, right? Yeah. You can come up here anytime, my friend. It'd be awesome. You know, as a kid, as, as a newlywed, I remember struggling with this. My wife and I were newlyweds, and we had our first uh, apartment. And uh, we, we got to the apartment. It was amazing. We got in a TV for our wedding uh, shower. It was, a, it was really great. And uh, we got our first apartment. We plugged in the TV, and you wouldn't believe it. We had cable. And not just like a few channels. We had all the channels. I can remember just being, you know, this is my first house, you know, out on my own. I'm like, this is amazing. I have, my parents never paid for like the whole big package, right? And so we had the whole cable package and I loved it. It was great, free cable uh, for about three months. And then one day I came home and the cable was shut off. And I got a note in the mail that said, we hope you enjoyed the free cable. If you really enjoyed it, you could subscribe and start paying us for cable from now on. And I thought, oh my goodness. You know, I enjoyed free cable, but I don't have the money to pay for cable as a newlywed. And it's not really that prior. And so I was kind of bemoaning the fact that I didn't have cable at our house until someone told me, well, you know, there's a little box on the side of your house. And the cable comes into your house on the cable. And all there is is a little screw on adapter, that little filter that they put on there. And like, if you take that off, then like, the cable will be... And I was like, oh, really? You know? And they said, yeah, let me show you. And so they took me out there. They took the filter off and plugged it back in. I thought, I have cable again. This is great. You know? And for three months, I had this agonizing ping pong match in my mind. Like, like I love cable and I, I, there's nothing to do at night, you know. Uh, I didn't have kids back then, so, you know, I had a lot of free time. Yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> sorry. and uh, I didn't realize it then. I realize it now after having kids. But anyways, uh, and I, I thought, you know what, like, let's just go unscrew the cable and we'll, we'll put it back on and then we'll have free cable. But then I thought, oh, this isn't right. I feel like I'm stealing cable. And, and for like uh, three months back and forth, I'd, I'd go and put like the, the filter back in, you know, and I feel, oh, I feel better about that. But then I'd get kind of bored. I'd go take the filter. And like, I was just like waffling, right? Like it makes sense to me. Like the cable's already coming to my house. It's like cable's already coming into my house. So it's not costing them anything if I just allow it to come a little further, you know, just let it come past the wall into my TV, you know, and I could justify it, right? But at the end of the day, I realized that this is not really about whether the cable's coming to my house or not. This is about a character issue of my life. Is Am I, am I going to uh, let this be an area of compromise? Am I going to let this be an area where I feel okay about taking something that I'm supposed to be paying for and allowing it into my life? For me, it was about character. 
How many know if you work on your image, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna develop the character of Christ. But if you work on having the character of Christ, you'll never have to worry about your image. As we come to this word today, say, God, what is good? Goodness isn't about keeping the rules for the rules sake. It's not about being good because people are watching me. It's not, uh, it's not about being good only in public, but not in private. It's not even about being good to try to rack up some points with God. It's about saying, God, I want the character of Christ and I'm not gonna settle for anything less. Spirit, would you lead me in every decision, in every conversation, in every interaction I have with people, I wanna be completely surrendered to you. And listen again to what Paul says here. He says, the results of this is that the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live and you will be honored along with him. When we live surrendered to Jesus, not just to get noticed that kind of good, but when we live surrendered to Jesus, he receives glory. He receives glory. We might not even get glory in the moment, but listen to what Jesus says. He says the recognition of the Father is that one day we'll stand before him and he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Bible tells us in that moment, that's all the recognition that we'll need. That would be so fulfilling to say, my Father in heaven who sees everything, he sees all the imperfection. He sees all my failing. And yet he calls me good because I followed his spirit's leading. I let his character develop in my life. Would you stand with me this morning? And I hope that you feel inspired today. This is not one of those messages where we all go, well, I don't add up. I'm not good enough. I'm up here as your pastor saying to you, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for the kingdom of God. I'm not good enough for heaven. And I come to Jesus and say, all of my righteousness, all my goodness, the Bible said is like filthy rags compared to the goodness of God. And yet God in his goodness says, follow my spirit's leading and let me produce this fruit of goodness, the fruit of the spirit in your life. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, I thank you today for my friends. I pray right now, Jesus, that we would be in this place not under condemnation. God, I pray that we wouldn't have that weight of guilt that would make us hide from you or hide our head, or hang our head in shame and isolate from others. God, you're never about condemnation. You're about conviction. Conviction is not about running away from something, but it's running to something. Today, we wanna to run to you in your goodness and say, God, we love this gift this gift of salvation that you freely give that's not based on anything we've done to earn it or deserve it. But God, we do it because you have freely provided it to us by your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, you provide us the coach, the counselor, the Holy Spirit who does this work in our life. The fruit of following the Spirit is that we will produce goodness, righteousness, and uprightness of heart and life. And so that's what we're after today. We're after today not to be impressive, not to be simply role models to others, not doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do, but because we want the heart and the character of Christ. And the end result, knowing God, that it will be a glory to your name and that the result of it is that you, we will please you. 
God, one day we want to stand before you and have you say that you are my good and faithful servant. In spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our failings, God, at some point we decided to follow you and you changed our lives. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor, I feel this weight of heaviness uh, that my goodness isn't good enough. I feel this weight of heaviness. Uh, the Bible calls it sin. Uh, we have this sin in our life, this shortcomings to the goodness of God. And you're saying, I just need to ask God's forgiveness. I want to start afresh and clean today. Uh, I need the righteousness, the goodness of God to be applied to my life. Is there anyone you would just simply raise your hand so I can see it today and pray with you? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you over here. Thank you over here. Maybe you've given your life to Jesus in the past, but you say, I deal, I struggle with this weight that I don't measure up to God's goodness. God wants to free you from that today by simply saying, follow my spirit, follow the training, follow the program that the spirit will lead you on and you will find the results you're looking for. Anyone else? You're saying that's me today. I don't want to struggle with the weight and the burden of this anymore. I don't want to run from God anymore. I want to follow his spirit. Yeah, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those deciding to follow you today. God, I pray that for each and every one of us. In fact, right now, church, let's all pray this together, this very simple prayer. Spirit, lead me. Say it again. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, would you lead me when I go home today? And I'm in the privacy of my home when I'm alone with my thoughts, when I'm alone with my family, those who see me at my realist. Lord, Spirit, lead me on my way to work tomorrow. Spirit, lead me on my way to camp, on my way to vacation. Spirit, lead me on my way to coffee. Whatever it is, Jesus, would you lead us so that we reflect the Spirit of Christ to those around us so that they too can see your goodness and be blessed through the blessing with which you've blessed us. Lord, I pray that this church would be a good church. A good church, not just because the music's good or the people are handsome or, or pretty. I, I pray this would be a good church because we would be a church that's following the Spirit's leading. Let that be the barometer of our goodness today, we pray in Jesus' name.